Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. Welcome again. My name is Patrick. I'm excited to be here. Excited to see some of the college kids back from spring break. Hope you all had a good time. Got refreshed. Didn't get too sunburned. Um, I wanted to preach today about, uh, we've been doing a a theme on renew. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today was our desire for God which I felt like kind of overlapped with what even Lucas was saying. Um, So I'm going to uh, attempt to be faithful here to the timer. Sweet. 75 minutes or 75 seconds. Um, So... I'm not going to explain that because I don't have time. Um, so, so where are we at? 2020 was kind of crazy for everybody. I feel like for us specifically here in this room, I feel like 2020 kind of jarred us and woke us up, got us out of our comfort zone. Um, it was hard. It also produced some really good things, some really good self-awareness. Um, and I feel like since then, in, in 2021, we've created a lot of really good momentum. I feel like we've, we've made a lot of changes. We have some renewed energy, some excitement. We're mobilizing. We're renewing our relationships. And it's honestly a very exciting time. I feel more like spiritually alert and oriented and awake and self-aware than I have in a really long time. Um, I, I want to also say that the year is moving really fast, <laughs> and today's the spring equinox, which is actually a quarter of the way through 2021. So I'll let that sink in. We're, we're 25% of the way done with the year. As Keith would say, we're only hours away from Christmas. Anytime after July, that's good. That's fair game. (laughs) So with time moving quickly and us having a lot of momentum and direction and life is always busy, I want to make sure that with the good things that we're doing, we don't leave anything good behind. And... I've been praying a lot about what I felt like God really wanted us to hear. And uh, I feel like it was absurdly simple. I felt like he was just like, don't forget about me and what you're doing. Um, I, I feel like a lot of times in the Old Testament, 
when God would ask a prophet or someone to speak, a lot of times he would use an illustration to, as like part of his message. Like he would give them a vision of something visual as an example of like what he was trying to do. And so in my prayer the past few weeks, this is kind of what I heard from God. I don't know if you all have read in the, the first chapter of Proverbs, there's a section where wisdom is kind of personified and speaks. Um, I don't know if wisdom is actually a person. Uh, my personal belief is that this is kind of a poetic expression of God speaking. I'm open to being wrong, but that's what makes the most sense to me. Um, so I'm going to read this and I want you to just replace the word wisdom with God and she with he. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out at the city gate. She makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you myself. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, Since you disregard my advice and do not accept my rebuke, in turn, I will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Um, So I don't want... The, the image that comes to my mind isn't necessarily the like kind of harsh rebuke of what's being said, but I feel like God's just kind of like saying, I'm, I'm up high, I'm looking down on this busy city. You're all like a bunch of ants, like doing a lot. And God's just like, hey, don't forget about me. Like still here, still here, still here. And I don't think this whole passage and what's being said, like this sounds more like a rebuke. And I don't think that's where our congregation is at, that we need to hear that. But I feel like there's, I feel like God's just wanting to warn us like, hey, don't forget about me and all of your religion. (laughs) Like it's super easy to do spiritual things in a very unspiritual way. And immaturity is going from like 
external motivation and lots of boundaries and just obey to internal motivation and a relationship and like affection and wanting to do what's right, wanting to love people. And so I just want to take a warning from Israel's past that it's not just like the pagans and the unfaithful who can forget about God. I feel like the religious, what I read in the Bible and what I've seen all throughout history and all around me is it's really easy for the religious to kind of do religion the wrong way and miss the main point. And it's not for like lack of like, it's not like they're just idiots. It's, it's absurdly simple. <laughs> we overcomplicate it. And so I just want to hear what Solomon is saying. And I want to peel back some of the layers of behavior to look a little deeper at some passages in the Bible and why we're doing what we're doing in 2021. So I want to take a little bit of time to look at the heart of God and uh, I want this to be emotional. I, I, I want you to turn off your like Sunday school ears that's just listening for facts. This isn't going to be anything new. And we don't need to learn anything new right now. I want us to think about our life outside of these corporate meetings and the religious, you know, structured events that we have. And think about are we being, are we connecting with the heart of God, which is the gospel? Because what I see in the Bible is that literally all 66 books from beginning to end is God initiating a relationship with us. In the garden, when there's an issue, Adam, where are you? Let's deal with this. I, I know where you are and I know what you've done. And I already knew it was going to happen. But I'm not giving up on you. I'm not, like, frustrated and having a pity party. Like, he's initiating. Revelation 3, he's like, I am knocking at your door. To people who've already been converted and who are getting kind of lukewarm and kind of losing the clarity of what they were doing and why. And Jesus is like, I'm still here. Like, <laughs> conversion is the beginning of life to the full and knowing me not like the conclusion of your religious experience. We're not meant to just like ride that wave for the rest of our lives and not experience God anymore. That's like the conversion is like the, what, what's the catalyst? Uh, it's like the shock to like give you life and wake you up and like start doing <laughs> I'm concerned. <laughs> I 
What? Yeah, yeah, that was my analogy. It was like spiritual life going, like conversion is going from death to life. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And I feel like spiritually it's like, oh yeah, I remember when I got saved and that was really the last time I experienced God. And so I feel like God is kind of saying, don't forget about me. Like, 2021 is going by fast. Life is always going to go by fast. We need the clarity and the intentionality to keep it very simple and stay focused on what's most important. I love this invitation. God says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for what does not satisfy? It's like, this is the cry of God's heart is like, come to me, come to me. I want you. I want to give you like good things for free. You don't even have to pay for it. Why would you be seeking other things that like aren't even what you need or really even want? This is the cry of the gospel. This is God's heart. And I pray that we can dislodge these facts in Sunday service and like believe it Monday through Saturday and not just be like religiously busy with really good intentions and knowing the right things but growing in a deeper relationship with God of like hour by hour minute by minute I'm walking with God. I'm feeding off him. I'm practicing his presence. I'm rejoicing. This is life to the full. Jeremiah 30. um, I'm not going to read that. Too much time. Um, So I want to take a deeper look at this idea of internal desire, intrinsic motivation, what's your affection set on? And I feel like for a long time I've had this idea that like feeling affections towards God is is kind of not real. Like it's this cupcake phase of like dating that like, like, I don't want to seek, I don't want to just chase emotion. So I'm not going to try and like feel in love with God. Which there's a nugget of truth in that. But it also throws the baby out with the bathwater. Like, that would not bear good fruit in my marriage. <laughs> and I'm not going to make an analogy. That was enough there. Um, <laughs> dang. I've been filtered three times by the Spirit in 12 minutes. <laughs> this clock is powerful. <laughs> so I want to I peel back some of this behavior stuff that we see of different failures of Israel and try and see, like, what's the root? Like, what's really going on behind the scenes, under the hood, that, that started the whole process. Jeremiah 2, this is God. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. 
send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So God says the universe should be in a state of shock. And the reason isn't pagans sinning. It's not gross, blatant, ugly sin. It's the clean people. It's the religious. It's those who are in the flock. The reason for cosmic dismay in verse 11, my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. It's like trading in something really good for something really lousy, like a mansion, a vacation at the Alps, the most amazing, awesome, free giveaway, whatever. And you're like, no, I want to keep my little shack on the garbage heap because it's comfortable and it's familiar and it's all I know and I can't fathom anything else and don't mess up my life. I don't want any change. I feel like there's, there's something here going on at the level of like affections, of taste, of before any action or behavior, I'm looking at God and then I look somewhere else and something looks better. Like, I want that more. And this is what scares me, because God says the entire universe and all of creation should be appalled that Israel would do this. Trading away the fountain of living water. I think it's easy to lose a taste for God. And the fruit of that is you're going to go after something else. You're going to dig your own cistern. You're going to want to be satisfied by something else. And I remember Keith did a really good communion or uh, midweek. I think it was like end of November or beginning of December. And you talked about a lot of like idols in today, like worldly success, fame, like ambition, careers, getting a house, lots of money, getting a relationship or family, being popular, like being outwardly attractive, even like religious pursuits. Like there's all these different idols and things that we can kind of say, like, yeah, God is good. And I'll, I'll sing those songs on Sunday. And I mean well. 
But really what my heart is looking at is over here. <clears throat> and I, I don't know what that looks like. And maybe everyone in here is fine. And all my prayers about what God wanted me to say were just for me. <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to my own lesson. Um, I'm, I'm not saying this because I see some kind of like egregious sin. But in 2021, I, I just don't get the feeling that we're all like sinking our roots deep. Like in love with Bible study and prayer and community. And I feel like God is doing a lot and everyone is excited and everyone is trying. And <clears throat> I just want there to be this like vertical relationship that everyone has and everything you're doing, all the love for people, all the obedience is flowing like naturally out of that as an overflow of like, I love people because I love God and I'm so grateful. And I actually just want to talk about him and the gospel. And I don't think that's far-fetched or like romanticized or idealized. Like that's actually just real. And if we have a hard time experiencing that, then... Why are we here? Like, if, if we're going to stop early <laughs> and just do this, like, busy behavior and programs, like, we're missing the whole point. And what are we sharing with people? And if we're supposed to be reproducing ourselves, what kind of disciples are we making if we're not really sharing the bread of life? We're going to be anxious and burnt out. It's unsustainable. The cross is too heavy without the spirit and God's love. And, and this is like so simple. This isn't like PhD, <laughs> like no one has to be a doctor. Like you can, I think the Bible's written at like the fourth grade education level. Like it's, it's really simple. But I feel like we can miss that. <clears throat> 75 more minutes to go. So the systems are results, a fruit. The root is I don't enjoy God. And there's a morality there. That's what I meant with this slide. There's, there's an ethics of this isn't just like extra credit, like maybe if you're lucky, you'll be someone that connects with this and actually enjoys Christianity. <laughs> like, like God actually says it's wicked if you don't. Is my time up? <laughs> and and I, I, I just feel like God, he says it's, it's, it's wicked <laughs> to not, love him and like him and want him and need him. That's point one and point two. <clears throat> so I want to go back and look at real quick the very beginning and see if my little theory holds up. Because this part is really important. 
And Paul's like systematic theology in the book of Romans, he comes back to this over and over again. Genesis 3, Satan said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So sin comes into the world through one man, and we all inherit this depravity. But what's the essence of what happened? Was it the mechanical chomping? Was it when she first plucked it? Like what, what actually was the rebellion? What was so evil about this? All the behavior is way past what actually happens internally. The essence of this temptation is God is withholding something really good from me. And I have God and I have something else. And she saw that it was good and it was a delight and it was desired. I think that was the essence of the great temptation and the great sin. And I think we're all just as guilty She saw that it was good, delightful, desirable, and said, you're withholding that from me. I won't be denied what I want, and it's not you. I want that. So the action is they ate the fruit. The essence of the evil is desiring what something can do for us more than God. The disobedience of God's command is not more fundamental of a problem than their preference of fruit. So I want to ask us in 2021, where is our internal affections? And how is our self-awareness of what's going on under the hood? Are we doing a lot of good things? Are we in love with God? I want to look at a few more scriptures real quick and just hear some examples, mostly from the Old Testament. Look at what's happening on the outside of Israel, specifically when they're failing and what's going on internally, and how it's making God feel. 
What's going on in the human heart that gives rise to the action? I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was devoted wholly to the Lord, the first fruits of its harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt and disaster came upon them. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went, too f- they went so far from me? They went after worthlessness and became worthless themselves. This is heartbreaking. This is God putting himself out there and be like, really? What did I do wrong? Please tell me. In Exodus, he says, Do not bow down or worship idols, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of iniquity to a father's children, to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. He's not mad that you're bowing down. It's what's going on in the heart, under the hood, way before the action happens. James says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Wishing friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for no purpose that the scripture says he jealously longs for the spirit he has given to dwell in us? Here, Israel's, there's some sentiment of, I wish I had them. I wish I had that. Whatever that is. I don't know what that broken cistern is that they think they want. But God's spreading out this like buffet of life to the full. And we're like, I'd rather eat dirt. I'd rather live in a shack. There's something else that will give me happiness, comfort, security, peace, fulfillment. Um, I have some quotes that I really like. I'm not going to read them. (laughs) We'll do this one. This one's... The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us. And instead, our programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but never satisfy the longing of the heart, the shallowness of our inner experience, the hollowness of our worship, and the servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day Know God only imperfectly and the peace of God scarcely at all. Now, again, I don't think this is a pretty harsh, like, I don't know if we need that. But there's something here that this guy, he was a um, minister, a self-taught minister in Chicago in the mid-1900s. But I, I think he's seeing something that is very common about the internal versus the external and what really motivates us. And I just want us to think about that and what we're doing in 2021. Um, 
So I, I, this is kind of a tangent, but also kind of related. I think we go too far in associating like happiness and pleasure with like selfishness. Like God gave us a desire to be happy. No parent wants their kid to like do all the chores and obedience and be unhappy. And like you're more mature when you're like suffering. Like that's like no parent concludes that. But I feel like we kind of put that on ourselves. And it's there's some philosophers that kind of influenced this thinking a long time ago in our culture. And I feel like it's very prevalent here. I hear it all the time in discussions, like in the church or out of the church, all around me. I, I catch myself thinking this stuff, that the more pleasure I get out of something or the more happy it makes me, that detracts from its like goodness or righteousness or like I can't go serve someone and enjoy it or I'm really just being selfish. Like I have to, if I was really like Jesus, I would not like it. And somehow I would love them, but not like this. And it's just weird, but... But it's there, and, and this isn't like a, a prosperity. I'm, I'm not trying to say... I'm not trying to say the broken cisterns of happiness that we look for are good. I'm trying to say that God gave us a desire that only He can satisfy, and I don't think we really want Him enough to be satisfied in him, which is why that's appealing. It's the path of least resistance. I don't want to, I want to eat the fruit of God without like working the soil to get that fruit. And I can do it with some counterfeit things over here. And it's just hollow, it's empty. But if we're not careful and if we're not self-aware about what's going on under the hood, then these like biological reward things of like maximize pleasure, minimize pain, conserve energy, like that's going to dominate everything you do. Like even someone who commits suicide is wanting to be happy. And I think God gave us a desire to be happy so that we would go to him. Does that make sense? And so I, I just feel like this kind of overshadows like our idea of good or ethics or morality or righteousness. And it just gets weird. And I don't, I don't even, for a long time, I didn't even, even know how to like express it. Or I wasn't aware that I felt that way. And it's not supposed to drive us to like low-hanging fruit of sin or anything without God, it's supposed to say, like, I want this bad enough to, like, turn off the TV and pray when I'm stressed and not just, like, 
spend emotionally, impulsively online or eat impulsively, emotionally in the kitchen, which is like the easy stuff to do. And, and you don't feel good afterwards, like the sugar rush or the package coming on the porch is like instantly like, what else can I have? Like there's this ceaseless factory of desire that God wants us to use to go to him and not nibble on the spiritual junk food. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. I'm not going to read that one. Um, I'm not going to read that either. So this scares me. When Israel finally gets the promised land, the, the group that's the religious priests don't get hardly any land. God says they shall have no inheritance. The Lord is their inheritance. The right and the Sunday school answer is they had the best like inheritance. I don't know if we really like like Monday to Saturday really Like, this is what I wrestle with, like, hour to hour when you zoom in on my life. Like, I would rather have the other inheritance. It's more exciting to feel like I got land. I got a future. I will be happy. I'm secure. I can work this. I can make something for my family. Who wants to be a priest? Like, what? And I feel like if we're not having this deep, deep, supernatural, vertical, experiential relationship with God, then being a priest is really lame. And no one wants that. Like evangelism should be so simple. Like this cistern doesn't hold water. You're going to die of thirst. Drink over here. Me find water. <laughs> like, really simple. Don't eat dirt. Dirt is bad for you. Come eat the bread of life over here. This side is somehow better than this side because I keep, like, God and broken. Next week, everyone's going to be over here. Um, and so I, like... Even reading this stuff, I'm like, I know these answers, but I don't know if I feel it, like, all the time. And if I don't feel it, then I can't really look someone in the eye and want to share anything spiritual with them. I kind of, like, pull some, like, 
out of my back pocket and like share kind of out of like guilt or, you know, I don't know. It just like this should be so powerful. Like I know what this tastes like. Do you want it? <laughs> like this is life to the full is me having this and getting to share it with you and help you have it too. And awaken this desire where people are tired of their own garbage and self-deceit that they want God. The story of Job. Satan's like, I don't believe that Job really loves God more than the things God gave him. So God's like, okay, take it. In so many words. I'm wrestling with how can I learn from Job without needing to experience that. (laughs) If my business fails and my children are dead in the ground and my house collapses around me and my wife abandons me and all faith, can I still praise God with boils on my skin? This is what it tastes like. Like, I don't want to invest all this time and energy in religion that can't really stand up to, like, demonic opposition and, like, stage four cancer. Like, I want to have the worst things and be, like, so happy in Jesus that I still am fine losing my possessions and my reputation and going to prison, and I don't really care because I've got him. And that's what we're coming to God for, is Jesus, not the whatever we think makes us happy. Or Abraham, same thing. What a symbol of, like, faith and, like, not only is there the paternal love, for a child, but there's also like Isaac represents God's love for me and his faithfulness and miraculous, like amazing things. And I felt like there was just something there where God was like, I gave you a good gift and you want it more than me. You like it more than me. And he asked Isaac, he asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. He said, give him back. I think the point was for Abraham to experience letting go of something that became too important and became this perilous relationship. And God's like, you haven't done anything wrong, but zooming way in, there's a problem under the hood. So practicals, where do we go from here? I have a new teaching. It's better than Pastor Ben Galbraith's discipleship staircase infographic that he gave us a few weeks ago. Where do we go from here? It's really simple, y'all. 
And it's not new. It's nothing we don't already know. I think I just want to emphasize that some of the teaching that we get here is exceptionally, like, magnificent. And I'm not saying that out of flattery, just objectively. I guess why I still live in Clemson. Because of the leaders and the mentors and the men that I look up to. That teaching and that influence by itself is just crackers compared to the bread of life. And I hope that we're not just eating secondhand Jesus to sustain us. So how do we do this? Jesus said it looks like this. The kingdom of the heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I think this is a beautiful illustration of conversion. I also think it's something that I need to do like every few minutes (laughs) internally. You said something to this effect the other day. You were like, the the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps coming back to life. (laughs) And I feel like we need to sell all that we have figuratively over and over and over again and keep saying, God, you're still what I need and you're still what I want. I desire what you can give me. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Everything in my life is not equal to the joy of acquiring and possessing Christ. And treasuring life above Christ is a tragedy. And Hebrews, the author says that his audience at one point in their lives joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew they had an eternal possession and an abiding one. I've, I've, been, I've been kind of like isolating this vertical relationship The, the reality is, is that you can't really love God well by yourself. And his goal is not to make you happy in him and alone. So that's why these are like lumped together. Love God and love people. Like I've heard several parents say like, you want to do something for me that would mean a lot to me? Love my kids. Invest in them. And I feel like that's what God is saying, too. He's like, I love these people, and so if you love them, you're loving me. I feel loved by you. And I think of, my wife was telling me this this morning, like Peter's reinstatement went over and over again. Jesus is trying to repair his relationship with Peter at the end of, what gospel is it? John. And um, he's like, you love me? Feed my sheep. You love me, take care of them. And I think there's this interesting 
complexity of like the vertical will go horizontal. And so I think we need to be having these like really, really, really powerful vertical experiences. But even then, God's like, that's not the end of the fulfillment. Like joy is most fulfilled when it's expressed. That's why you want to talk about your favorite restaurants and your shows or whatever. And God wants that to happen for us. We're taking care of each other and serving each other. It was kind of nice being tall. Um, And this doesn't just spill over to just community. It's all the pillars of Christianity, the basic, like, founding pillars of our faith. The disciplines of prayer and Bible study are obvious. Worship, fasting, community, confession, Sabbath. All of these things go into renewing our need for God, our dependence on God, and our hunger for God as a means of renewing all things.